millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Greetings, fellow time travelers. Uh, it's lovely to have you with me. We travel through space and time together asking questions. History's all around us. It's buried beneath our feet, literally, as I've experienced as a, when I was a working archaeologist. Uh... We can't tell what the future holds, but we can look back at the past as a kind of a user's manual, as a, as a bit of a guide, uh, and we can be inspired, if nothing else. And that's what this series modestly, humbly attempts to do, and it's a pleasure to be doing it with all of you. If you want to support the podcasts via Patreon, please do. Go to patreon.com, look for me by name, and you have to part with a little bit of cash, monthly or annually. It's cheaper by the dozen. It's now time to set aside the advert, strap into the time machine and set the coordinates as we hurtle off towards the next stop in my love letter to the world. Recorder, microphone, action. Tall, voluptuous, lovely, long brown hair, dark eyes. Europe's last witch is led in chains through the little town of Glarus in Switzerland to a square packed with people. As science, reason and the Enlightenment are flourishing across the rest of the continent, a swordsman swings his blade and cuts off the witch's head. She's a powerful man's discarded mistress and can speak no more. The ultimate cancelling. Hi Neil, last week we travelled with you to India as Britain expanded her empire, an empire which became the largest in human history. Where are we this week? Hi Paul, yes this week uh, the episode of the love letter, it's got everything really that people associate with uh, memorable stories, there's sex, there's violence, there's a beautiful woman, there's a powerful man, there's headlines, there's a terrible tragedy. The year is 1782, we're in Glarus, which is a small Swiss town, and we're there in the moment when an executioner's sword severs the head of a woman accused of witchcraft. I think we preface these all the time with, this is one of my favourites, don't we? <laughs> this is one of my favourites, uh, and because it's so, it's so pertinent. This whole podcast series is predicated upon the idea that the past has much to teach us, like, like that's my idea, which it isn't, obviously. However, the person involved here and what happens to her is so illustrative of, of the problem when, as, and we've been living through it for the last two or three years, where when it suits 
the establishment or when it suits people in authority or people who have power over other people, they'll set aside fact. They'll, 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 they won't bother with reason. They won't bother with the, you know, the much vaunted enlightenment of the last 300 years. They put all that to one side if they need to get something that they want. And we see it in this story here. We're in Switzerland. The whole thing unfolds in little Switzerland, uh, in, in, uh, in the heart of Europe. Uh, and it's towards the end of the 18th century, so it's the later 1700s. And it centres around uh, a woman called Anna Goldie, who is, was the last European to be put to death for witchcraft. She holds that unhappy title. And it's just, when you bear in mind when it was happening to her, and she was beheaded in 1782, at a time when, you know, science and reason and enlightenment were supposedly flushing through Europe like like clean water to chase away all the, whatever, superstition. And yet, and yet, but we'll get to it. Um, Anna Goldie, uh, she was born in Senwald in the St. Gallen canton of Switzerland. Cantons, you know, Switzerland's broken up into these little polities within the country. She was born in the St. Gallen canton in Switzerland in 1734. She was a poor woman. You know, she was an illiterate all her life. She lived and died unable to read and write. So she's from a poor background. So the, the details about her life are are slight because no one was paying any attention to her until the fact was she had been executed as a witch. No one had paid any proper attention to her. So it's hard to assemble the backstory. However, there are bits and pieces. When she was a, a young woman, a younger woman, she had a child out of wedlock, as they used to say. She was an unmarried mother of a baby and the baby died in infancy. It's not clear how or why, but hardly unusual, really, given the the medical knowledge in the 17, you know, middle of the 18th century. So the baby died very small. And Anna was, she was convicted of some or other wrongdoing. It's hard to know for. It certainly wasn't as though she, she wasn't accused of killing the baby. But she ended up in the stocks in the town square so that she could be pelted with rotten vegetables and so on. Uh, but it, it, the, the opprobrium that was heaped on her was probably motivated by little more than the fact that she was unmarried. That was probably, that's probably the crime. And then having a child while unmarried was really what people were upset with her for doing. And then after they had pelted her with all the rubbish, she was placed under house arrest. So she was sort of confined to wherever it was she was living for an unspecified period, but she escaped. She got herself out of there and just moved away to pastures new. And she disappears at that point into a kind of historical void. It's hard to know exactly where she was or what she was doing, but at some point, a little bit later, she had another child by another man. So, you know, she's living a life, I suppose you would say, that maybe by the, by the, the morality standards of the day was a little bit unorthodox. She was not keeping within the normal bounds of, of moralising behaviour. One way or another, by 1780, she is in the town 
of Glarus. Also in Switzerland, it's in a, a narrow uh, valley. You know, there's steep cliffs either side. So, you, fittingly, in a way, it's a place of, of shadow, a, a hidden place away from prying eyes to some extent. And she found work as a as a nanny, come housekeeper, for a well-to-do family called the Tudies. Obviously, they were well-to-do because they could afford staff, for one thing. The name is spelt T-S-C-H-U-D-I. I'm pronouncing it Chudi, uh, and I think that's close close enough to the mark. It's definitely, in the context of all that happened to her, and really, when you think about the way in which women, and it's mostly women who were persecuted for you know, the alleged crime of witchcraft, there's undoubtedly a sexual element to it. You just can't get away from the fact the way in which the women tended to be interrogated. There was always a great deal of stripping them naked, uh, examining uh, intimate places on the body for marks of the devil, shaving of of body hair, shaving of head hair. There was very much a, a, a sexually humiliating aspect to all that went on, and. Something that's important to know about Anna Goldy is that she was a very attractive woman. She was tall, relatively speaking. She was curvy, voluptuous, full figure. She had long brown hair, very pretty. So she, she stands out anyway. And because she's unmarried and she doesn't have the protection that comes from being lawfully, legally married, she was by definition vulnerable. And she's, she's had children... So anyway, she finds herself, she finds work with this well-to-do Trudy family. Jacob Trudy was a local magistrate, right? So he's, he's a man of influence, at least locally, a man of power. He's got status. He's married with children, obviously. And it's into that house that Anna steps fatefully. And when I ran across the story of Anna Goldie, I couldn't help but be reminded of a movie, a Hollywood movie that I saw back in the, maybe it was the 90s, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. It was about a, a woman who moved into the, the home of a, a young couple with their first baby. And then there's a whole, you know, tragic thriller storyline unfold. But at one point early on in the movie, the young mother who has appointed a nanny, one of her friends says to her, never let an attractive woman take up a power position in your house. And that registered with me at the time because, apart from anything, it was adv- it was advice from a woman to another woman about another woman. <laughs> you know, so it, 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 you know, there's a kind of apart from anything else, there's a kind of an absence of the sisterhood there. But it might be more helpful for you know women to back women up. It, it, for it stayed with me. So never let a, an attractive woman take up a power position in your house. So of course, when you look at Anna Goldie, she's a very attractive woman, and she comes in to the house and because she's looking after the children it automatically intentionally or unintentionally it confers a little bit of power because you know the, because the children maybe get fond of her maybe they're more inclined to look to her for comfort and advice than to their own mother it's a, it's a, it's a complex potentially complex situation anyway but what unfolds in the Tudy house from 1780 onwards is an old, old story. There's some kind of affair between Anna and Jacob. So they're in a 
you know, they're in an intimate relationship together. Um, you can speculate to your heart's content. You know, was there any genuine affection there at any point in the unfolding of it? Was there any kind of love? Or was it just opportunism, exploitative? Who could possibly know? But in any event, even if there was something genuine there or something heartfelt, it didn't last. And one way or another, uh, Anna ends up sacked and out of the house. The sequence of events is not clear, but un, unex, you know, hardly surprisingly, the most vulnerable person in the situation, i.e. one of the women and not the wife, ends up on the street. It's in the aftermath of Anna ending up out of the house that the stories start and the Trudies start putting it about that there was an occasion, for example, when one of their children was drinking from a cup of milk while Anna was still in the house and at the bottom of the cup was a steel pin. Steel pins always feature in these stories as evidence of witchcraft. Steel pins were apparently in use for various things, medical treatments, treatment of warts, but also notionally, hypothetically, the casting of spells. Apart from anything else, a steel pin was a handmade item. And so, you know, expensive. So there's, there's pins in the milk, pins in the bread. So bread was coming out of the oven, freshly cooked, and when it was being sliced for consumption by the children, steel pins. The finger of blame for the presence of the steel pins in the food in the Tudy house is pointed at Anna, right? Now she's already out. So what's, what is going on? You know, what is going on? You cannot help but think it's, it's about the destruction of someone who poses a threat. Someone essentially vulnerable, essentially powerless, but nonetheless to be taken down, to be cancelled, to be silenced. So, again, I said it at the top, but think about this. It's 1782, and, and Switzerland is alive to the Enlightenment and to science, you know, the emergent natural philosophy. And yet, in that context, one among them, who is, let's not forget, a young woman who's caught between a powerful man and his status and reputation, is accused of black magic. It's an anachronism. It's incongruous. It doesn't really fit the context. It's late in the day to be charging someone with witchcraft. But in that context, it's hard to avoid thinking that witchcraft serves the purpose of a powerful man. And never mind the fact that science would debunk it. And never mind that you know people are talking about enlightened thinking and natural philosophy. If you want to get something done, go for the old weapons. And witchcraft is known to work. Anna was arrested. And of course, how do you get a witch to confess? You torture the witch. So Anna is tortured. They tie cords, cords around her thumbs, and hang her from the rafters and dis until her own weight dislocates her joints. They hang weights on her legs. So she confesses. And the, the confessions are just, when you, when you think about them, they're ludicrous. You know, she talks about how Satan appeared to her in the form of a black dog. It's always a black dog. Uh, you know, it's a real pain for black dogs everywhere. So Satan appeared to her as a black dog, gave her the steel pins, so on and so on. The first time 
they let her down from the from the weighted cords, she immediately re- withdrew her confession. She said she'd been it's nonsense. So she took it all back. And so what did they do? They hung her up again, and they tortured her more severely until she repeated it all. And this time when they brought her down, as I mentioned, she was illiterate, she couldn't read or write, but someone wrote out her confession and Anna, with her broken hand, made her mark across beside the confession. And then she was unceremoniously frog-marched out into the town square of Glarus, where a waiting swordsman cut her head off. 1782. Enlightened Switzerland. What do you make of it? A powerful man? Uh, maybe, you know, you just maybe give the devil his due. Maybe Anna was sacked for just not being a very good housekeeper to begin with. And maybe, and maybe Anna in some desperation came back to the house and maybe she made some threats. Maybe she had a quiet word with him, with the wife, and said, you know, if I don't get some compensation for the fact that I've lost the roof over my head and whatever, uh, I'll make trouble. And maybe it was at that point that the Tudies started telling stories about steel pins and the milk and the bread. We can't know. In 1782, Britain, for example, recognised the independence of the United States of America. And, And over there, in the fledgling United States of America, you know, the founding fathers had come up with the, the Declaration of Independence and then the Constitution of the, of the United States. You know, enlightened men were thinking about the equality of all living people and, and, the, and freedom of speech and all of the rest of it. All of, those, all of those noble thoughts were in the air in 1782. Uh, but at the same time, the philosophical transactions of the Royal Society... Right, so the, the, the regular magazine coming out of a, a, a relatively recently founded august scientific body was, was excited about the discovery and observation of a meteor in the night sky. So, you know, scientific endeavour, looking up, literally looking up at the light in the sky. And at the same time, while all of that was going on, an unmarried mother and her severed head were put in a box or wrapped in a shroud and buried in an unmarked grave and she had been convicted of witchcraft in a time of enlightenment in a time of declarations of independence in a time of looking at the bright lights in the sky and contemplating the cosmos Anna was the last person in Europe to die convicted of witchcraft and Let's be honest here, everyone in Gladys knew it was lies, even while it was happening. It was obvious. Anyone looking on at the situation would have quickly joined the dots. Uh, But they could see it for what it was, that it was a powerful man using his position, and that science and everything else of of the then modern world was set aside while he got what he wanted. It's the ultimate cancelling. It's the ultimate silencing. It's silencing forever. And no one, you imagine all the people of Glarus as the thing starts to happen, is happening. They know, but they can't speak out because they're scared. Who's going to speak up in that context for fear of, what, the accusatory finger about 
black magic now points at you. How quickly would anyone standing up for Anna be tarred with the same brush? Don't want to be so don't don't just keep your head down. Don't make a fuss, don't cause trouble. So when I said at the top that this one is so timely, it carries such a heavily weighted reminder that when the powers that be need something, want something, they will subvert anything, including the, the science and reason that uh, for the rest of the time they claim to care so much about. It's hardly the first time that that had happened, what happened to Anna in Switzerland in 1782, and it certainly wasn't the last. A revolutionary war, hunger for strong government, and independence within independence, confederation, great words and declarations, discussion, debate, and finally a written constitution, a nation balancing the tension between majority decisions and the protection of inalienable rights. The power of the people is the document's base note, and it resonates to this day. Next time in my love letter to the world. To help support this podcast and to get access to new and exclusive history and comment vodcasts every week, sign up to my Neil Oliver Patreon site. I would love to see you there, as I keep on saying, and it's true. Check out the merchandise in the shop. T-shirts, mugs, hoodies, the rest. You'll find the details somewhere down there. My Instagram account with the great daily updates is called Neil Oliver Love Letter. My YouTube channel is simply called the Neil Oliver Channel, and it features new films every week. And to help... Build this podcast, tell your friends about it, get them listening, write a review and convince the online crowd that they should be here with us. For further reading about these moments I've chosen, you could try my book. It's called The Story of the World in 100 Moments and it's published by Transworld. Neil Oliver's Love Letter to the World is produced by Paul Ratcliffe and Neil Oliver for Catnip Inc. Music is composed by Milo McKinnon. Social media and YouTube producer is Oscar CFR. Additional research is by Evie, Lucy and Archie and Teddy. Finances by Catherine and Trudy. Post-production is by Squared Studios. And the graphics are by Paul Plowman. Thanks for listening. This has been a Catnip Inc. Podcasts production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.